Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 6 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's the 19th of November, 2020. This is episode 325 of Bitcoin, and let's just get right on in to billionaires in Mexico buying Bitcoin. Inflation investment lesson from a Mexican billionaire touts Bitcoin, says Christopher Brookins from Forbes. That's right, Forbes. Bitcoin already riding a multi-day hot streak, attained its highest market cap yesterday and touched $18,000 or $18,500 overnight. Yeah, well, you know how Bitcoin goes. Adding fuel to a fire, a recurring theme in 2020 of notable investors and institutions allocating to Bitcoin continued Wednesday morning when Mexican billionaire Ricardo Salinas Pliego stated that he has 10% of his liquid portfolio in Bitcoin via a tweet. Per Coindesk, Pliego Additionally stated that Bitcoin protects the citizens from government expropriation, along with viewing government-issued fiat as being worth nothing, (laughs) and noting that it is always good to diversify one's investments. In recent years, Latin America has been the poster child for poor monetary regimes and stifling inflation, with Venezuela being the most poignant example. However, Plago's statements have applicability to both developing and developed nations' citizens, given the world has entered a prolonged period of fiat debasement to combat the economic damage left behind from COVID-19. For example, per Fred, the M1 money stock has exploded in 2020 on a year-over-year basis, which has increased demand for hard assets like Bitcoin and gold. Despite the COVID-19 shock, debasement of the United States dollar is not a new phenomenon. For example, per Fred, the purchasing power of the United States dollar has plummeted over the past 100 years. Given the current macro environment, the trend appears unlikely to abate anytime soon. The aforementioned facts should be well known by United States citizens at this point, but Plago's comments reiterate that his inflation investment playbook is not only relevant for Latin Americans, but also Americans. Plago doesn't have a crystal ball. But if one thinks that the future purchasing power of their local currency might resemble the previous trend, considering the advice of one of the wealthiest individuals in the world might be merited. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, you might want to listen to this guy, just saying. But uh, there's a little uh, caveat here. Uh, some people reported that this guy had invested 10% of his, like, you know, co- complete wealth, right? That's not the case. It needs to be said that he invested 10% of his liquid portfolio. He's a billionaire, but most billionaires don't keep their assets in liquid form. They usually buy shit like, you know, land, real estate. They're parking their cash somewhere because they sure as shit ain't parking it in the bank. That would just be dumb. But still, you know, whatever his liquid portfolio is, is probably fairly substantial. So 10% 
of it being converted to Bitcoin, probably a substantial amount. Also, he bought in when it was $800. I don't know if that was when he bought in all of it. You know, if he's kind of smart, he's probably been tracking the track of the markets, but in dollar cost averaging in, but you know, probably a substantial, he probably made a substantial profit uh, in Bitcoin or in us dollar terms with Bitcoin buying at $800. Holy crap. He was actually one of the, one of the smart ones. Uh, Western union could ban or the Western union ban in Cuba could drive them to Bitcoin as deadline looms. Tim Alper writing this for CryptoNews.com. Cubans are being pushed yet closer to Bitcoin and altcoins after the nation's long-running spat with the United States took yet another conventional remittance casualty. Per earlier reports in November, the Cuban government has closed all 400 Western Union offices in the country after Washington blacklisted FinSimex, a military-run firm that processes payments from Cubans based overseas. A military-run remittance, or or why is the military running anything to do with finances anywhere in the world? That just seems really that I don't know, man. There's something really spooky about that shit. But the Guardian said that the move would eliminate most remittances and aggravate the country's profound economic crisis. And Reuters reported that Western Union stated, "quote Today." We informed our customers that they have limited time to send money to their loved ones from the United States to Cuba. Cuba uh, Cubans based abroad now have until November the 22nd to send money home with offices closing down on November the 23rd. Good God, y'all. The American Treasury last week banned all companies in the United States from dealing with FinSimex in any capacity. The move might force Cubans to seek out crypto-based alternatives even before the FinCimex and Western Union closures, the term buy Bitcoin was spiking on Google Trends across Spanish-speaking areas. <laughs> Moreover, this term is most popular in Cuba. Cubans have become increasingly desperate to solve their remittance-related woes with so much of the population dependent upon receiving finances from relatives working abroad. As previously reported, this phenomenon has led to the rise of a platform named BitRemesses, in Cuba, this solution involves middlemen operators who take BTC commission fees of up to 25% to convert Bitcoin remittances from abroad to fiat and deliver them to their intended recipients, often by bicycle traveling distances of 14 kilometers in blisteringly hot conditions to hand deliver cash. According to the Havana Consulting Group and Tech Data, in the last 10 years, the Cuban population has received uh, $29.95 billion in United States dollars in cash remittances. 90% of this money <clears throat> came from the United States. In 2018, the amount of cash remittances to Cuba was estimated at $3.69 billion, a growth of 3.6% compared to 2017, the consulting firm said. So, yeah, that, this would be good for Cuba. Again, um, I think I talked about it either earlier this week or late last week about the the issues in Cuba, but to close down 400, 400, I didn't even know there was that many Western Union offices in Cuba. I mean, 400? And the whole issue with a military-run financial institution, again, 
spooky as hell, man. But nearly 25,000 Bitcoin addresses were created in one hour. That's right. One hour, 25,000 brand spanking new Bitcoin addresses were created. Uh, Liam Frost is going to tell about it, <clears throat> tell us about it from decrypt.co. It says nearly 25,000 new Bitcoin addresses were created today in just one hour, a level that was last seen in January of 2018. According to Glassnode's data, the 24-hour moving average of new Bitcoin addresses hit 24,807. This shows that, on average, that many addresses were created on the blockchain for each of the last 24 hours. For some of the hours, it would have been even higher. The last time a comparable number of newly created wallets appeared on the network within the same time frame was in mid-January 2018. This was just after Bitcoin reached its all-time high of $20,000 the previous month. At the same time, the amount of new addresses does not directly translate into the number of new users. Since any crypto enthusiast can create thousands or millions of Bitcoin addresses, in fact, it's usually recommended to use multiple addresses for privacy and security reasons. <clears throat> According to Glassnode, there are now a total of 32.5 million Bitcoin addresses with a non-zero balance. This has been continuously rising since March of 2018 after a sharp drop in January of 2018. Generally, as the number of Bitcoin addresses and its price continues to rise, this shows that the network is growing and there are likely more users. A closer estimate of the number of users can be seen by the number of active addresses. This number is around 850,000. It has been on the rise since late 2019, but is still lower than at Bitcoin's peak of 2017. And as many commentators have pointed out, Google search trends haven't yet picked up for the search term Bitcoin. This suggests that if another big wave of new interest is coming, it isn't at full force yet. Why, why are we fascinated with Google searches? I don't get that. How many times do you have to search Bitcoin before you understand what Bitcoin is? I'm getting to the point now where I think what's happened is that, okay, everybody knows what Bitcoin is. There's no real reason to go search it on freaking Google. You know, there, and there's also the rise of, uh, you know, other search engines that are more privacy-based like DuckDuckGo. Maybe so there, you know, that's eating in a little bit, not a whole lot, but still eating in a little bit. I just, I, I think we're looking at the wrong metric here when we start saying, oh, well, but Google trends, you know, Bitcoin isn't, is not, rising as a trend on Google searches, I don't care. I literally don't give a shit. I got price. I got the amount of wallets because what these guys are saying is that it wasn't just in one hour, okay, that, you know, all these addresses were created. This is the hourly average. So every hour on the hour, an average of 25,000 Bitcoin addresses are, are being created at least right around, you know, the time that this of, of writing of this article, which was November the 18th. So yesterday, right? So, I mean, like the hour before was about 24,000. The hour before that was probably about 24,000. Okay. So like, you know, thousands, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of brand new addresses are being created. Now, it also could be that with the rising use of XPUB, that those uh, addresses are being generated in an automated Oh, sorry, automated fashion, but we don't know. All we really know is that a whole shit ton of Bitcoin addresses are being generated every hour on the hour. UK's <clears throat> CBDC could facilitate negative interest rates, says the Bank of England. Oh, you think? <clears throat> Not like we weren't warning about this shit. 
Jarslaw Adamowski is going to tell us about it from CryptoNews.com. He's writing this this morning. Should the Bank of England decide to issue a widely used central bank digital currency, or a CBDC, the move could help the country's economy to benefit from negative interest rates, according to Andy Haldane, the central bank's chief economist and member of the Monetary Policy Committee. Quote, on the monetary policy side, one of the most pressing issues for monetary policymakers today is the zero or close to zero lower bound on interest rates. At root, the ZLB, or the lower bound on interest rates, arises from a technological constraint on the ability to pay or receive interest on physical cash, whether positive or negative, Haldane said in a speech at a conference hosted by the City UK, an industry association representing the British financial sector this week. Quote, in principle, a widely used digital currency could mitigate, if not eliminate, that technological constraint by enabling interest rates to be levied on retail monetary assets. How far it is able to do so will depend on the supply of physical cash to the public as well as any impact on the new regime of the finance or new of the new regime on the financial system, according to Haldane. The latest development comes as the Bank of England is carrying out a review into the feasibility of cutting interest rates below zero similarly to what has been done by the European Central Bank with the negative interest rate on the deposit facility. <clears throat> Commenting on the economist's proposal, the Guardian cautioned that, to be clear, Haldane is, taking, is talking long-term here. For this to happen, the Bank of England would need to have issued a digital currency and the population to have largely moved to digital cash rather than banknotes. Quote, otherwise, savers could simply take their cash out and hide it under the bed, Although there are various theoretical ideas such as time-limited notes, which expire on a certain date, which could thwart that, according to the paper, Haldane recognized the transformative potential related to the issuing of a widely used CBDC for the country's economy, but also that economy uh, uh, that economics have so far failed to fully grasp it. Quote, to be clear, what I am discussing here is a structural shift in the monetary regime and carries no implications for the costs and benefits of negative interest rates in the shorter term. And these costs can, of course, be mitigated in other ways, including through unconventional monetary policy tools and activist fiscal policy, he said, quote, Nonetheless, I believe it is important that potentially large macroeconomic benefits of a digital currency are explored when evaluating the use case or the case for a new monetary order Oh, God, new monetary order, new world order, great reset. This is ridiculous. So far, that has not been the case, according to Haldane. Okay, so negative interest rates on CBDCs already being discussed. That was quick. That was real fast. You know, and that's, I mean, that's perfect for them, you know, for their fiscal policy, considering that they, you know, screw everything up. Uh, no. It's almost as if these people want Bitcoin to take over because this is, I mean, if did you want Bitcoin to take over? Because this is how you get Bitcoin to take over. This is exactly how you do it. You basically bully the citizenry to the point that they have no other option. You close down all their Western unions. You tell them that they can't save anymore. What do you think is going to happen? I think they're just going to continue to use your shitty monetary policy, your shitty monetary systems. Listen to your shitty monetary economists talk about bullshit monetary policy more and more and more. I mean, if there was a time when the majority of the world's citizenry would not understand this, but now more and more people are coming to understand 
uh, how to question what money is and what fiscal policy is. We've been in a deep sleep for decades as a world population. We've been in a deep, deep sleep. And I get the feeling that we're starting to wake up. Now, if they do this, it's just going to force more and more people into Bitcoin. That's going to be good. That'll, that'll be good for us because, A, we were right. But, B, it also is going to, you know, clearly is going to make the uh, price go up. So, be on the lookout for this kind of shit. And also, that the notion of, of uh, physical banknotes that have an expiry on them, that's just, that's kind of, that's a new kind of evil right there. Because at that point, if they were to do that, you're talking about a lot of printing costs. And, and you're at, at that point, you're begging people to throw your money away. It's going to be like Venezuela, where it's just littering the streets because, shit, I wasn't able to spend it fast enough. That's all this does, is make sure that your citizenry does not save any money at all. The question becomes, you know, Really, the question becomes why? And you can tinfoil hat this all day long and probably not be wrong. I'm serious. I, 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 have, come, I have really come to believe that when, when people say things like, what do you think, they all got in a room and decided how to fuck us? Yeah, I'm, I'm starting to think that. I really am. I, 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 nothing else explains it. You know, the boredom of billionaires is, is what I kind of chalk it up to. Once you have that kind of money, you don't, I don't think you're really looking for any more. You've got more money than you can spend. So now it's power play or it's one-upmanship. But I get the feeling that there's quite a few of these kinds of people that are sitting around at tables looking at each other going, well, you know, we've made all the money. How do we have fun today? It's like, oh, let's, let's see if we can move the population of an entire country in a certain direction. Yes, chess on the, on the world scale at this point. I think they're just playing games. Time is our best friend. Bitcoin's 12-month trajectory to $100,000. Keep that in your pants, guys. Hong Fang, going to tell us about it from Cointelegraph.com. If you are in Bitcoin for the long haul, there is a reasonable path to 500000 within the next decade. Back in June, I wrote that Wall Street remaining on the sidelines is not necessarily bad for our industry. While most traditional investors are still observing, Bitcoin's uh, mainstream momentum has been building over the last four months. Currently, the Bitcoin price is hovering around $18,000, steadily approaching its historic all-time high. When we talk about asset valuation, the first step is always to understand the fundamental economics. Equities, bonds, and real estate, for example, generally derive value from generating cash flows. Therefore, valuation of these assets involves projecting future cash flows. Commodities, on the other hand, are more utility-based, so their prices are anchored by industrial supply and demand. So what is Bitcoin? Here's my take as a hodler. One, Bitcoin is sound money and the first native internet money in human society. Two, it is scarce, divisible, verifiable, and most importantly, censorship resistant. With these, oh, three, with these superior monetary qualities in one asset, Bitcoin is a great store of value. Once it reaches a critical mass of adoption as a store of value, Bitcoin has huge potential to grow into a global reserve currency over time as well as a universal unit of account. History of money shows us that natural forms of money generally go through three phases of evolution. First, as collectibles, uh, speculation on scarcity. Second, as investment, store of value. Third, as money, unit of account. And then payment, 
the medium of exchange. Between 2009 and 2018, Bitcoin was in its first collectible phase. It was hard to estimate demand given the fickle nature of speculative trading whose magnitude outweighed hodlers, mostly cypherpunks, who believed in Bitcoin as future sound money. The Bitcoin network also survived one of its most serious community divisions that led to the creation of Bcash in 2017. We are now in the early days of the investment phase. This year has brought us a global pandemic, continued uncertainty, unapologetic money printing, and in contrast, a successful third halving of Bitcoin, which was expected. For the first time since its inception, Bitcoin has entered the mainstream media as digital gold to hedge inflation risk. As more people start to embrace Bitcoin as a long-term wealth preservation mechanism, a simple supply and demand valuation framework becomes much, much easier. There are many factors that could add upside to Bitcoin's price in such a framework. Given that we are still in the early stage of mainstream adoption, I'll leave out most of them to be conservative and only focus on a highly likely scenario where 1-2% to of U.S. households' wealth is allocated to Bitcoin, while Fidelity's most recent report recommends a 5% target allocation. All right, so... According to the United States Federal Reserve, U.S. household wealth reached $112 trillion by June of 2020, so 1 to 2% of that would be $1.1 trillion to $2.2 trillion in potential demand. On the supply side, the current totaling circulating BTC is about $18.5 million. To keep it simple, let's assume the max supply of $21 million maximum is all up for sale. Demand divided by max supply, we get a price range of $56,000 to $112,000. Given current macro trends, it is not too crazy to expect this to play out in 2021. If we apply this math to $400 trillion in global family wealth, according to Credit Suisse's The Global Wealth Report of 2020, 1-2% to of global allocation could push the Bitcoin price to $228,000 to $456,000 per coin. Will this happen within 2021? Likely not. Can this happen in the coming decade? Highly possible. So what could go wrong? It is prudent to play devil's advocate and assess downside risks too. Let's look at major risks that may derail a Bitcoin bull run. Uh, The protocol risk. The biggest risk always comes from within. Bitcoin has inherent value only because it has the unique characteristics of sound money. Scarce, durable, accessible, divisible, verifiable, and censorship resistant. If any of those qualities are compromised, the foundation to its investment case will be eroded. Such protocol risks were high in its early years. After two major controversial hard forks and three successful halvings, uh, protocol level risk seems to be contained now. There's a political risk. Given that Bitcoin is positioned as the future of money, it is possible that sovereign governments ban it for fear of threatening fiat currencies. Such bans have already happened in several countries. However, given the lack of geopolitical Uh, homogeneity and increasing momentum of Bitcoin going mainstream, the risk of the cryptocurrency being banned out of existence, out of existence diminishes with each passing day. There's an adoption risk and that's a timing risk. It is quite possible that it may take much longer than expected for Bitcoin to go mainstream. Nevertheless, the unique quality of Bitcoin will speak for itself over time. So Bitcoin's price chart between 2017 and 2018 very much looked like a bubble. However, if we look at Bitcoin's full trading history, there is a clear upward trend together with a growing number of asset holding addresses as well as the network's increase in computing power. The increasing mean hash rate of the Bitcoin network represents 
the increasing security level that one would want to see in a network where people's wealth is stored. On-chain analysis also shows active addresses are still nowhere near the January 18 level, even if the Bitcoin price is approaching its historical all-time high. I may be on the bullish side for Bitcoin's 12-month price trajectory, but I truly believe that time will be our best friend. Bullish. Nice. Mining pools, Poolin, Slush, and BTC.com all announced support for Taproot. Nick Chong from BTC Times writing yesterday says, as the BTC Times reported, the implementation of Schnorr Taproot consensus rules were merged into the Bitcoin Core repository in October. The next step will be to discuss how the upgrade is to be activated on Bitcoin's mainnet. This discussion is now taking a step forward with Bitcoin mining pools taking the lead in signaling their preferred direction. Schnorr and Taproot are widely seen as important additions to Bitcoin's technology stack. Schnorr is an alternative algorithm to ECDSA, which is currently used to generate cryptographic signatures. Schnorr signatures would enable the flexible creation and execution of multi-signature transactions by combining signatures. This provides added privacy as multi-sig transactions would become indistinguishable from regular Bitcoin transactions. Taproot is the specific method in which Schnorr signatures will be leveraged to realize a privacy-preserving smart contract solution. It was first proposed by former Blockstream CTO Gregory Maxwell in the Bitcoin dev mailing list. Since then, several iterations have taken place, uh, leading to the pull request that was eventually merged. There is no widespread consensus as to how and when Taproot will be activated, but movement can be observed. According to Taproot Activation, a website launched by Poolin, three large mining pools have announced their support for the upgrade. Poolin slash pool and btc.com. According to btc.com, the three pools collectively manage around 25% of Bitcoin's total uh, network's total hash rate. The pools currently support different activation processes. A BIP9 or BIP9, that's a Bitcoin improvement proposal equivalent, which Poolin announced support for, requires a supermajority of 95% of the hash power to activate. If that threshold isn't reached within a year, the upgrade expires. Following the lengthy activation journey for SegWit, BIP9 has suffered criticism, however, and some parties no longer regard it as an optimal activation method. I'm surprised they're actually looking at BIP9, honestly. But Slushpool has indicated support for BIP8 instead, which would enforce the activation through a user-activated soft fork once a specific deadline is reached, regardless of whether a majority of miners signal support for the upgrade. BIP-8-2 is not without criticism, as on a short timeline, it could potentially trigger a chain split. If activation is enforced without sufficient consensus, an updated version of the proposal would allow nodes to be configured for or against enforced activation, the latter of which would somewhat resemble BIP-9. Modern software activation support comes from btc.com in a way of uh, combining both BIP-8 and BIP-9. This proposal would include a minor signaling period, followed by developer evaluation in case of upgrade fails, and if no problem with the upgrade proposal is found, ultimately enforce activation through BIP-8. Criticism of this proposal mostly evolves around the long time period required. Of note, neither proposal is final at this point and parameters can be adjusted. Mining pool support 2 is currently not binding, and it remains to be seen which proposal gains the most support. So hopefully this doesn't end up in a fight. That's all I can hope for at this point. Let's run the numbers.
I'm staring at a lot of red on commodities and futures, but honestly, it's they're kind of meh. Oil is down by two-thirds of a point. Uh, that's West Texas. Brent is only down 0.2. Natural gas swing into the low side, 2.73% on the downside. And then gold is also down by two-thirds of a point. It's going to come in at $1,861.70. Silver swinging low, 1.63 to the downside. We've got index futures. Yay. No, we're not saved here. Dow futures down 0.2, S&P down 0.15, NASDAQ futures down 0.3, S&P mini is down a quarter. So yeah, there you go. Now let's talk about some real money here. Bitcoin is at $17,684. Uh, is that going to be my high? I think that's, yep. Nope. That my high is over at Bitstamp at $17,698. And my low is in fact the number that I just read, the $684. Although Coinbase, Coinbase just switched over, 17721 seems to be the high that's holding just now. 319,000 transactions performed in the last 24 hours gives us about 13,300 transactions on average per hour with 2.5 million BTC being sent in that 24 hours. That's 103,000 BTC being sent every hour on the hour on average. Average transaction value is 7.78 BTC, and the median transaction value is 0.038 BTC, or about $700. Block times are now pegged exactly at 10 minutes and 0 seconds. Interesting. <clears throat> we have <clears throat> 0.63 BTC being taken in fees on a per-block basis, <clears throat> and 90.7 BTC is being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. We've had a 5.25% bump in hash rate. We are now at 143.9 exa... Hold on. Yeah, 143.9 exahashes per second. That's pretty high. Dogecoin, apparently they were pumping the, they were pumping Doge on Instagram yesterday, and it seems to... It kind of worked for a little bit. $0.0029 is what a Dogecoin is going for. Uh, it did, yeah, that pump probably was, you know, that was, I heard about was not apparently very effective because only 37,000 transactions on Doge Network was done. But that still puts it in front of both Ethereum Classic and uh, Bcash. Bcash is chilling out at just under 20,000 transactions in the last 24 hours. So, Nobody's using it. Stop saying that they are, please. Clark Moody has a price of, what is your price? Oh, 17738 The Bitcoin supply right now stands at 18547744.15 BTC. One BTC is going to get you 9.4 ounces of gold. And the Bitcoin versus gold market cap, Bitcoin's market cap is only 2.72% of gold's market cap. <clears throat> we got a lot of room to run, y'all. There are 15 blocks that are waiting to clear, and when they do, they will take 20,897 transactions with it. We have 1,042 BTC in the Lightning Network, and that is $18.5 million of capacity, which is an all-time high, I think. I'm pretty sure. Anyway, that's over 7,717 nodes with 35,802 channels. Now the Tor capacity is ticked up again, 51.5% of all 
Lightning Network is done over the Tor Network. Uh, that is 2,573 nodes, and that's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the snooze you can use. It's OKX token price rises 11% on rumors of founder's release from jail. Seriously, man. <laughs> when, you're, when you're waiting for a pump to occur because your coin's founder gets out of jail, dude, dude you're, you're betting on the wrong shit. Although OKX is a whole exchange. This is just their own shit coin, but still, dude. When you honestly, you got to wait for your guy to get out of jail for the pump. Eleven percent, dude. November eighteenth, Robert Stevens going to tell us about it from Decrypt.co. Uh, OKB, the coin that powers Chinese cryptocurrency exchange OKX, jumped by eleven percent after rumors on rumors that Chinese authorities have released from custody the exchange's founder, Mingxing quote Star Zhu. The price of an OKB. As of this writing is $5.42, which is up from $4.81 yesterday. When Zoo was detained in mid-October, the price of OKB fell from $6 to $4.26. The exchange paused withdrawals. After reports surfaced that Chinese police had taken Zoo into custody, OKX disputes this characterization and has denied rumors that Zoo was detained for money laundering. Decrypt has reached out to OKX for further comment, though moderators have already banned us from its Telegram chat for discussing, quote, fake news. Quote, Wu Blockchain, unquote, a Chinese crypto reporter, today posted rumors that Zhu has gained some freedom and that Chinese police haven't yet worked out whether to end the investigation or to release him on bail ahead of a trial. Wu Blockchain said that there is no timeline for resuming withdrawals. Quote, this may bring a little bit of optimism in the investigation storm sweeping the Chinese crypto industry, said the independent journalist. Volumes for OKB has been rising all week. On Monday, $56 million worth of OKB traded each day, according to metrics on data analytics site CoinMarketCap. Today, traders shifted $143 million worth of OKB, although the price of OKB is up. OKX is still not permitting withdrawals on its exchange. An administrator on OKX's Telegram chat said, We apologize for the inconvenience caused. It is not available yet. Even though I'm unable to share a time frame right now, my team is trying our very best to resume full platform functionality. So this is why you don't keep anything on exchanges. You haven't been able to get any of your money out from OKX since mid-October. That's like a month that you can't actually claim your money. Wow. That's, uh, don't keep your shit on exchanges, people. Binance files defamation suit against Forbes reporters. So they're going the Craig Wright uh, path here. So, okay. Uh, Jeff Benson, if writing for Decrypt.co, uh, says Binance, the world's largest cryptocurrency exchange, has sued Forbes and two of its writers for publishing a story last month that it calls defamatory. According to the complaint filed today in U.S. District Court in the District of New Jersey, the article, quote, Leet Tai Chi document reveals Binance's elaborate scheme to evade Bitcoin regulators, end quote, contains numerous false, misleading, and defamatory statements about Binance. So they say, anyway. The article was written by Forbes staff member 
or <clears throat> staff writer Michael Del Castillo with additional reporting attributed to Jason Brett. <clears throat> Both men are named alongside Forbes in the lawsuit. The Forbes article relies on a document thought to be created by a senior executive and believed to have been seen by senior Binance executives, including CZ. The so-called Tai Chi document was reportedly a PowerPoint outlining a plan to set up an American subsidiary, ostensibly its independently operated namesake Binance.us, to distract regulators and then move revenue in the form of licensing fees and more to the parent company Binance, according to the lawsuit. Defendants, the defendants' false public statements, misrepresentations, and innuendo that Binance does not comply with applicable laws, seek to evade regulators, and is engaged in activity characteristics, uh, characteristic of money laundering are highly damaging to Binance. Binance maintains that because it did not receive a retraction or apology from Forbes, it's moving forward with a lawsuit. It's asking for compensatory and punitive damages as well as uh, as well for the article to be removed. A spokesperson for the exchange said, quote, we exercise and support freedom, including freedom of information and freedom of press, as well as accountability. This suit is not a reflection against our core value and belief in freedom, but ensuring the truth and justice, end quote. This may not just be a flex move for Binance, whose CEO previously stated that it would sue the block. One of the attorneys who filed the suit on Binance's behalf is Charles Harder, who represented Hulk Hogan in a privacy invasion lawsuit against Gawker Media that netted the wrestler $31 million settlement. Gawker subsequently filed for bankruptcy. When asked for comment, Forbes Chief Communications Officer Matthew Hutchinson told Decrypt, we stand by our reporting. I'll just sue him, I guess. Everything the Felder Report got wrong about Bitcoin. Oh, man, this one. This one, if you hadn't been, if you weren't on Twitter yesterday, then you missed this one. Um, yeah, God. Oh, um, it was going to be my train wrecked, but I've got a, I've got something else for you on that one. Um, this dude wrote this, this piece, this Felder guy. He wrote this piece about Bitcoin. Uh, got so much wrong, but here's the thing. It was retweeted out by Keith McCulloch, the quad four guy that is just tearing his hair out. Because as you know, Keith McCulloch said that he had sold all his Bitcoin and that was like last month. And well, you see what happens. Okay, so now he's trying anything he can to justify his actions. And he picked probably the absolute worst report, which demonstrates not only the ignorance of Jesse Felder, but also the ignorance of Keith McCulloch. If you're paying this man for financial advice in the legacy markets, you need to leave. You need to get, if he's holding any of your money, you need to get it out now. If you are a paying customer of Keith McCulloch's, you need to quit that shit. This dude doesn't, he can't grasp the simplest of concepts about Bitcoin. How are you going to trust him to grasp the complex nature of legacy financial markets. Don't. Get your shit out. Get your shit out now. Turner Wright tells us about it from Cointelegraph.com. Former hedge fund manager Jesse Felder claimed, among other things, that hard forks were multiplying the number and types of Bitcoin in circulation. Bitcoiners are crying foul at former billion-dollar hedge fund manager Jesse Felder's inaccurate hot-take blog post about Bitcoin today in which he claims the crypto asset doesn't make any sense as an investment nor as a currency alternative. 
Bitcoiners seem taken aback by a number of factual inaccuracies in the post coming from someone working in finance. In the November 18th post, on his financial blog titled, Please Stop Asking Me About Bitcoin, Felder claims Bitcoin is not used as a medium of exchange. Okay, I've used it as a medium of exchange, so that's already wrong. Nor does it provide any store of value. That's bullshit as well. My value has increased substantially over the years. He also questioned the value of one of the key features of the cryptocurrency, its scarcity with only 21 million possible coins by claiming that hard forks are multiplying the number and types of Bitcoin in circulation. Quote, if you put together all the hard forks Bitcoin has undergone since it was first created, the number of total Bitcoins has actually grown faster than the number of dollars, said Felder. That's a fact. Oh, oh, that hurts just to read just the, oh. Watching somebody get it so wrong is very cringeworthy, dude. However, it's not a fact unless you mistake BCH or BSV as part of the Bitcoin supply. Coinmetrics co-founder Nick Carter was quick to correct this, stating that, quote, almost everything in this post is wrong and pointed out that, quote, hard forks did not dilute Bitcoin, end quote. The former hedge fund manager also claimed that Bitcoin could be supplanted by a better cryptocurrency that hasn't been created yet. More than one Twitter user said that this would be highly unlikely due to network effects. Felder also seemed to be operating under the belief the Bitcoin network itself had been attacked rather than insecure exchanges or wallets with pure, uh, poor security when he claimed, quote, millions of dollars worth of Bitcoin has been hacked. He continued, oh, please don't, quote, Bitcoin may make a great deal of sense as speculation, Ponzi schemes can work out great for early adopters, end quote. Oh, the Ponzi. Felder's confident assertions about Bitcoin had many Twitter users chomping at the bit. Oh, chomping, sorry. They actually spell it champing, but it's chomping at the bit to set him right. Bitcoin bull Anthony Pompliano was one of the first to respond, calling Felder's words really inaccurate and offering to educate the former hedge fund manager over a phone call. Alex Gladstein, chief strategy officer at the Human Rights Foundation, followed suit, stating Felder was too lazy to do the research and completely out of his depth. And here's the uh, here's Lawrence Leopard, who is responding to Jesse Felder's post and says, uh, basically point by point, it says, it has been hacked. Wrong. Forks multiply its supply many times. Wrong. It is not a store of value. Wrong. It could be supplanted by a better crypto. Wrong. Google Metcalf's law. Doesn't provide safety of principle. Wrong. Doesn't provide an, a- an adequate return. Also wrong. <laughs> Part of Felder's apparent confusion may be due to him stating he relied on an old school definition definition of investments. However, the fact is that hard forks do not affect the total Bitcoin supply of 21 million coins. While hackers are able to steal coins from time to time, these crimes are usually limited to exchanges and custodians, phishing attempts and misplaced private keys, but not the Bitcoin network itself. Quote, Better to have no opinion than a poorly reasoned one, said Twitter user uh, Anil Sido, Sideso. I, I know I butchered that. I'm sorry. Yeah, the Felder report. I, I won't even read it. I'm just, I'm just, like, I'm getting snippets of it off, you know, Twitter and like news stories like this. I don't need to read that thing. But I'll tell you again, who did read it is Keith McCulloch. And he, this is a man who is literally reaching for anything he can to explain his bad judgment when it came to selling all his Bitcoin at somewhere, I think it was around 7,500 to 8,000. And 
yeah, you really screwed that up. Again, if you are paying Keith McCulloch to do anything other than clean your toilet, you need to stop that shit. He doesn't know what he's doing. And I, I think what, uh, on a, like looking at trends, what I'm starting to find out is that the people that we really came to know in our childhood as being the, you know, the, the leading minds in the field of finance, like, it, <clears throat> and that could just literally equal you going, oh, so the Federal Reserve Secretary or, you know, the Secretary of the Treasury or whatever, these people clearly know what's going on. Now, I think that, I think that curtain is being pulled back. I think what we're finding out is that they really don't know what they're doing. And nobody has demonstrated that more poignantly than, than Keith McCulloch and Jesse Felder falling into traps that we cleaned out years ago. So moving on, <laughs> Bitcoin records highest ever market capitalization is an all-time high price next. Jordan Linshev is going to tell us about it from Crypto Potato. Uh, following the recent roller coaster that resulted in a few massive four-digit price movements, Bitcoin appears to have calmed down uh, north of the $18,000 price tag. <clears throat> the alternative coin, or the altcoins, also followed the volatility ride, but have ultimately lost market dominance against BTC. More interestingly, Bitcoin has managed to reach an all-time high value in terms of its market cap, despite the price being lower than back in 2017. Dude, this is just going to be simple math, but let's continue. People use many words when describing the cryptocurrency market, but boring should not be in their vocabulary. The past 24 hours have only proven this. The first ever and most popular representative of the cryptocurrency market is a prime example. Bitcoin traded at $16,600 yesterday before initiating its first leg up to 17850 At this time, this became... The new yearly high, and I just want to make sure that you understand, this was updated yesterday, so it was probably written a couple of days ago. Uh, although this would be impressive enough on its own, BTC didn't stop there. Just a few hours later, the primary cryptocurrency exploded even further and peaked at nearly 18500 In other words, the second consecutive yearly high painted in less than a day. This time, however, the bears decided to join the party, and shortly after drove BTC down to 17,400. So in the span of 24 hours alone, Bitcoin firstly gained about two grand of value from 16,500 to 18,500 and then lost over $1,000 and is now calmed down above 18,000. But that's actually not true as we've seen. It's calmed down below 18,000. Although BTC is still trading below its December 2017 all-time high of $20,000, the cryptocurrency marked another significant milestone the total market capitalization reached a new all-time high of around $337 billion, and it surpassed the previous record, around, which was around $334 billion in late December of 2017. This has become possible because the number of Bitcoin in circulation has increased in the past three years. Oh, thank God you nailed it. I was worried about that. Consequently, the higher number of coins now multiplied by the price has taken down yet another record. Altcoins follow suit. New yearly high for Ethereum. Not going to read this section of the story. None of this. They're, they're going to talk about Ethereum, Chainlink, Ripple, Binance Coin, Cardano, Litecoin, Nexo. They're even going to talk about Bitcoin Gold. And you're not going to hear it. Why? Because this is all bullshit. And if you are holding any of those coins, I would run screaming out of that room. 
but someone just made a $47,000 mistake with Bitcoin. <laughs> Whoopsies. Will Gotten Gotsigen is going to tell us about it from Decrypt.co. Also writing sometime yesterday, someone has apparently paid 2.66 Bitcoin, which is over $47,000 in fees, to send a measly 0.0108 BTC, which is about $200. Oh, God. The transaction hash is, and no, I'm not going to read the hash, okay? And the identity transfer is unknown, as are the reasons for their throwing all this money away on a fee. In all probability, it was a mistake, the result of a user setting the Bitcoin transaction fee manually. This sort of thing has happened before. Someone made an even costlier blunder this year in June, dropping $2.6 million in fees to send $130 in ETH. It was the highest transaction fee ever paid to transfer Ethereum. Oh, that hurts, man. Oh, hey, they, they include a tweet from our good friend, Emin Gunseer, who says, yet another goose egg transaction, this time on Ethereum. Someone paid 2.5 million USD in transaction fees to send $133. They almost certainly swapped this fee with the amount to send. It could be money laundering. I mean, everything's money laundering, right? A previous candidate for the Ethereum record was this transaction from February in which someone spent $450,000 on fees. That anonymous uh, transfer later worked out the mistake with Shark, or Spark Pool, the mining pool to which they had sent the fee. Since there was no change from the Bitcoin transaction, the Blockchain Explorer Blockstream suggested that it may have been a self-transfer. According to BitInfo charts, the average Bitcoin transaction fee is just around $4.45. That's down from over $13, which was a high for the year in October. In fact, in late October, a crypto whale was able to move more than $1 billion of BTC from Bitcoin wallet provider Zappo to an unknown address and only pay 3 bucks for the transfer. Maybe Peter Schiff will learn how to do that with gold one of these days, you know? I'd like to see Peter put a billion dollars of gold bars on a plane and fly it halfway around the world um, for $3. I, I triple dog dare him. I'll bet him all of my Bitcoin that he can't do that. Peter, that's a bet. I will bet you every single one of my Bitcoin, every single Satoshi I have to my name, that you cannot move $1 billion of gold halfway around the world for $3. You got to physically move it, though. You got to put the gold bars on a vehicle, and you've got to get it to the other side of the world. And if you can do that for a total cost of $3 that you can prove, then I will give you every single Satoshi that I own. Just saying. The Senate has blocked Fed nominee who wants a return to the gold standard. Shocking. November the 17th, Jeff Benson, writing for Decrypt.co, says that former Federal Reserve Chair Janet Yellen, since she retired in February, her seat on the agency's seven-member Board of Governors has been vacant and President Trump's nominee to replace Yellen is having a difficult time getting confirmed. This is Judy Shelton, by the way. Her nomination failed to proceed on a 47 to 50 vote yesterday or today, which back was yesterday or the day before. Shelton, whose last position was at the U.S. Director uh, of the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development, has called for the U.S. to return to the gold standard. That would tie the value of the dollar to the actual metal rather than the price it can fetch on foreign exchange markets. Shelton's reasons for supporting a reversal in monetary policy are directly related to inflation. In theory, because there is a limited supply of the precious metal, 
Using a gold standard is anti-inflammatory. <clears throat> In a Wall Street Journal op-ed criticizing then-President Obama's budget plan, Shelton said, quote, But what most Americans are concerned about is the likelihood that the purchasing power of their wages and savings will be eroded through inflation. It's small comfort to have more dollars rounding out the economy these next few years if those dollars are worth less. So don't expect Shelton to press burr on the Fed's money printer. Shelton's ideas have a cachet in certain crypto libertarian markets. In a 2018 paper for the Libertarian Cato Institute, Shelton advocated for a common currency to maintain a uniform value for every issued unit. She advocated an approach that permits the issuance of virtual currencies in tandem with government-issued currencies adapting legal tender laws to permit healthy currency competition. She reiterated that in May, in a May interview with Gold Telegraph, quote, I like the idea of a gold standard. It could be used in a very cryptocurrency way. Oh, Jesus. The point is, you do, uh, the, the point is, do you have a unified monetary system so that when you talk about the international marketplace, everyone is playing on a level monetary playing field? In quote, no surprise then that Shelton has provo- uh, proposed taking a hard look at the digital dollar, but while inflation is a common boogeyman, Uh, and crypto is gaining institutional traction, Shelton's embrace of the gold standard puts her apart from mainstream economic thought. The St. Louis Fed writes, quote, the gold standard is no guarantee of price stability. Moreover, the fact that price inflation in the United States has remained low and stable over the past 30 years demonstrates that the gold standard is not necessary for price stability. Oh, you see, back in the day, I would just take that as fact. I would say, I would have said, hey, look, the guy from the Fed said it, so he must be right. But now I'm reading this completely differently. I'm reading this as somebody who knows clearly that they're, you know, that he knows clearly that he's lying because they're using the CPI, the consumer price index, which will tell you every time they readjust it, that it's 2% inflation. We know that's bullshit because the CPI doesn't include a lot of stuff that Americans use on a daily basis. It doesn't. They say it does, but it doesn't. And what's worse is they readjust what they put into the CPI every time they need to make the number come out to 2%. So when this guy says that for the past 30 years, the the gold standard is not necessary because prices have been so stable, that's bullshit. Don't believe him. Senate Republicans have tended to agree. Many have been grumbling about Shelton's nomination since Trump put it forward. That dissent is now thin to a handful of Senate Republicans who find her views problematic enough to block the nomination. Mitt Romney and Susan Collins voted with Democrats against a cloture motion that would have ended debate on Shelton's candidacy and set the stage for a final vote. Furthermore, three Republican senators were absent. Lamar Alexander, who's indicated he'll vote against Shelton, was away for personal reason. Chuck Grassley was in isolation after testing positive for the COVID. And Rick Scott has quarantined for possible exposure to the novel COVID. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell also voted against the motion, a strategic move (coughs) that allowed him to reintroduce it later, but the legislative calendar and shifting seating arrangements are against Shelton's appointment. Unless McConnell can time a vote after Scott and Grassley return, but before Arizona Democrat Mark Kelly replaces Trump appointee Martha McSally, the vacant seat has been something of a thorn in the side of President Trump, whose initial nominee, Brookings Institution fellow Nellie Liang, withdrew her nomination in January of 2019 after failing to get a Senate confirmation hearing 
Steve Moore and Herman Cain were also announced as nominees for one of the two empty Fed seats, but neither was officially nominated. Though Liang was praised by Fed Chair Jerome Powell, Republican senators reportedly agreed with banking industry lobbyists that she wasn't sufficiently (laughs) anti-regulation. But again, bullshit. President Trump's uh, candidate for the other Fed vacancy, Christopher Waller, is having an easier time of things and has earned support from both sides of the aisle. Waller is the director of research at the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Daily Trainwrecked is brought to you by Peter Schiff, who responding to Ray Dalio, who said, I might be missing something about Bitcoin, so I'd love to be corrected. My problems with Bitcoin being an effective currency are simple. Well, Peter drives his train up up the tracks. He says, Ray, you are not missing anything except participating in a bubble. Your criticisms are spot on. It's the people buying into the mania that are missing something. You've witnessed enough bubbles to know that they often grow to be much larger than you expect before they burst. So right next to the seat on that train wreck, uh, sitting next to Peter Schiff is Keith McCulloch. Both these gentlemen are telling themselves anything they can at this point so that they don't feel like they are really stupid. I mean, this thing... Bitcoin's, we're we're getting close to 12 years. There's not a bubble in the history of mankind that has lasted that long. This is a trend, not a bubble. It's a trend. Peter, dude, you got to stop this. You got to stop it. All right, so now uh, joke time. Uh, Today I spotted an albino Dalmatian. It was the least I could do for him. Yeah, when your Dalmatian doesn't have spots, it's not a Dalmatian. When your money isn't backed by anything, it's not money. Just saying. Hey, listen, I got to go. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.